really want to say a, a massive welcome to everyone. Uh, so for those who are new, my name is Chi, the senior pastor here at this church. And uh, we've been going through a series uh, on faith and money. And so there's a booklet out there um, uh, at the front as well for those uh, who may not have uh, received it. We've been kind of journeying through that over the last few weeks. Uh, but this all centers around the vision of our church, which is, and I say this every single time I preach, let's say it together, ready, ready, one, two, three, to build disciples who represents Jesus to everyone, everywhere, with everything, okay? And so we've been kind of walking through that. This is a picture of a gorgeous-looking little disciple. Uh, he's my son. Uh, and uh, what we want to be able to build is you. Uh, I want to personalize it. And uh, what we've been doing over the last few weeks is a bit of a template of how we're going to walk through this over many different topics in the years to come. But especially in the area of money, where we want to build your heart, right? Where we ask the question, how is God using this area of my life or money to disciple my heart? And so in the first week, we spoke about money and my heart, right? We shared about how our relationship with money affects our relationship with God. That we cannot be faithful to Jesus and the Bible and not talk about money. And that whenever we speak about money in this church, it's always first about financial discipleship. And how money is a discipleship tool to reveal your heart, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Amen? Yeah? We either serve God or money. Our heart cannot be divided. But you know what? We can use money as a tool to turn our affections towards God. You know, um, one of the great stories I heard this week um, uh, was from uh, uh, the Ukrainian uh, family in a community that had a gathering uh, last week. And I also wanted to take a special mention to Nathan and Bagula, who are at the front there. They translate every week uh, so that they can actually um, hear. So, and make it accessible. Thank you. Um, you know, I just want to say a massive thank you to the church community as well. And, you know, one of the comments that came back was just the appreciation around how the church has shown what it's like to be a Christian, the way the love has, of the church has changed them, not just to get a house or a job, but it's also changed their homes and the way they love each other more and thankful that they have a faith that they didn't have before. And now they change people and wanting to help others. Isn't that amazing? Right? Uh, God moving through our community in that way. So much so that I heard uh, one of the stories is that one of the members of the Ukrainian family uh, decided to give $1,000 to the short-term missions in India. Now, that's incredible. Like, that's a lot. Yeah? So let's give the Lord a hand. Like, how the Lord is moving. It's out of that gratitude. Like, I've lost everything. But I only have what I have now because of God. And out of that gratitude, willing to do that, is the epitome of what I was sharing about. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Can I hear an amen? Right? The heart. Then we talked about skill, right? What skills do I need to learn to let God practically rule my life in this particular area? We talked about money and my skill. What skills do I need to learn to manage God's money His way? And so I went through a bit of a thesis last week, yes. Uh, but you know how, how salvation impacts all areas of our money management. That God wants us to have a mindset of a steward to pursue God's vision of biblical wealth. We talked about how the Bible speaks to how we should manage God's money His way. And we covered the whole areas of generating income, debt saving, and other responsibilities with money. We had workshops with Brett Ryan. We had uh, with Damien as well. And our apologies, unfortunately, we didn't able to record the sound on Damien's workshop. But uh, there is a checklist uh, that is available at the front about uh, money hacks kind of thing, where you can save some money and stuff like that. 
but we address some of those areas of skills. But today, we're going to address the area of money and mission. How do I show and share my faith in this area of my life? So if you look at the area in your booklet, I, I kind of put this picture there because I wanted to kind of wrap it up in a simple picture. This is what it looks like. For us in our heart to go, I realize this is not my money, but God's money. We in the skill, I want to learn how to manage God's money His way and how I earn, save, spend, budget, give, and invest. And then how do I model and teach my son to be a good steward of money, of God's money, or among many other missional opportunities, okay? So today, we're going to talk about money and God's mission. We're going to cover it in three parts. One, I'm going to do a bit of teaching, preaching at the front end. Then later, we're going to hear a little bit of a, just an update around the financial stewardship of our church. And then later that, at the end, I'm going to call and challenge all of us to a point of action. Yeah? Sound good? Amen? You with me? Okay, let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you again just for your word. God, I just offer um, this word and this sermon to you. And Lord, we bring our hearts to you, God, that we can hear your word. But Lord God, you want us to put it into action. God, I pray that you will move us, God. I pray that you will convict us, God. God, help us to have a bigger vision of you, but also a vision of what you want to do through us as this church family here for your greater kingdom in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so this is the passage we're going to read from today. We're going to read from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 20, 26. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see your brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead. Everyone say dead. Dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith? Well, you believe that there is one God? Well, good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And we go down to verse 26. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, I've shared this before, but many years ago, I had a chance to be part of the Lasan Younger Leaders Gathering, and I think this was in 2016, and here I was in Indonesia. And there were a thousand delegates from 150 different nations, and this is where we were all celebrating with our different diverse colors, and we had to wear the Australian colors, and here I was uh, in my Australian colors. I had to actually go buy uh, a t-shirt so I could fit in. Um, But uh, one of the nights, uh, we had a whole bunch of like, you know, a whole bunch of people just sitting around randomly, you know, meeting different people. And I happen to remember one particular dinner. And this was an African-American lady who was from Fuller Seminary Theological College. And she was a professor there. And she began to talk about a whole range of things and tell a little bit about her personal story. But there was one particular thing that she said that has always stuck with me. And uh, you kind of understand the context. This was in America. She was an African-American lady. And obviously, there's sometimes racial riots and stuff like that. And police officers and, you know, and the social injustice around that. But she began to talk about the role of the church because she knew I was a pastor. And she says, the role of the church is to help shape the moral compass of police officers. When they put on their uniform, 
help them understand they're bringing along their theology. Don't speak to them only when they go rogue. Because they have all these white police officers sitting in their congregations, and she's saying, as an African-American professor, seminary professor, saying, these pastors need to help these police officers join the dots between their faith and what they do in life. And when you put on your uniform, you are putting on your theology. And when they are in their jobs, they will be making decisions on their theology and ethics. And she made this statement. People don't feel the impact of your intellectual faith. People feel the impact of your life. Can I hear an amen? People feel the impact, not of your intellectual faith, what you say you believe, what you think about your faith. No, no, they feel the impact of your life. And what she was trying to say is that people in the world feel the impact of our ethics. They feel the impact of our morality. They feel the impact of how we deal with our sexuality. They feel the impact about how we do work in a team setting or whether you're pulling up your weight or not. They feel the weight of your words, whether you're discouraging, encouraging, whether you're truth-telling or you're not. People feel the impact of the way we resolve conflict, whether we do it well or whether we do it poorly, whether we take or responsibility for the things that we need to own, or we are always diverting that and blaming everyone else. And here she's saying, people feel the impact of your life and how much more in the area of the way we manage our money. Can I hear an amen? And here she was saying that we need a practical theology, a faith that can be seen by our actions, where our actions show our faith, they work together to make our faith complete. And the world hears and experiences our faith by the way we live with an integrity between our believing and doing. And here as we come into the book of James, this is what James is talking about. He says, we have a faith that impacts every area of our life. In the book of James, he's saying that you cannot separate your faith and your works. Let me get this straight. I'm not talking that we get saved by works only. We get saved by grace through faith alone. Can I hear an amen? But if we not get saved into a fruitless faith, we get saved into a fruitful, life-changing faith. So let's park that aside for the moment. But here, James is saying faith without works results in a foolish, unproductive, spiritually deficient, inactive, ineffective, and worthless life. And he begins to unpack, if you read through the whole book of James, which we won't, and we've done a series through that, he begins to unpack how our faith impacts different areas of our life, from trials and temptations, how we listen, how we speak, how we manage our anger and our emotions, the way we control our tongue, what we do with the Word of God, how we show favoritism and prejudice, how we make judgments, what kind of wisdom do we use, earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom, What is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? You want to draw near to God? Then He will draw near to you. How do you manage criticisms? What about self-confidence about your future? What about your wealth? What about patience and endurance? Talking about prayer and how to deal with believers who've walked away from the faith. James talks so much about so many different areas of our life because he's saying that our faith impacts every area of our life. Can I hear an amen? Why this is so important is because then I realize the issues of life we face 
It's not just a money issue or a work issue. For us as believers of Jesus Christ, it is a faith issue. Can I hear an amen? It is a faith issue. Our faith drives everything that we do. It impacts every area of our life. Now, what's this got to do with money? Because I just want to share two ways that we can put our faith to work, especially in the area of money and God's mission. And first is this, that we can use everyday moments with money as an opportunity to what I call show and share or show and tell your faith. Now, this is what James says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can this kind of faith save you? Suppose you see your brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Everyone say dead. Now here, Warren Wiersbe, in one of his commentary, I love his semantics around this, so I'm going to unpack it a little bit. He unpacks through this three different kinds of faith. The first is this, a dead faith. Now what does he mean by a dead faith? A dead faith is a faith that only touches your intellect and your talk, but doesn't affect your walk. He's saying he talks about, it affects your mind. You go, yeah, I believe God provides, I believe God's good, I believe God is compassionate, but then you walk past someone who's in need and you don't do anything about it. And here, James is saying that's called a dead faith. And then he begins to unpack the second kind of faith, which is a bit more controversial. He calls it a demonic faith, right? And here he goes here. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Now, how many of us believe in one God? Put up your hand. High up. Yeah? All of us believe in one God. Good for you. Because even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And here Warren Wiersbe begins to be really controversial. And he goes, this is what he calls demonic faith. Where the demons believe that God is real, that God is true. In fact, they're also emotionally affected because they're trembling with fear, but they remain unchanged. They're still doing demons. And I'm like, when I'm reading that, I'm going, ooh, that's confronting. How do you guys feel that confronting? Yeah? yeah? Don't blame me, blame Warren Wiersbe. Yeah? But here, it, this is what the word is saying. And here it's talking about how that, you know what, when we have faith that, that affects our mind and our emotion and our belief, but it doesn't change our will and our life. He goes, that's not the kind of faith that God calls us to. But yet, praise God, the kind of faith that God calls us to is a dynamic faith. Everyone say dynamic faith. A dynamic faith. This is the kind of faith that God calls us to. And here he says in verse 18, some argue that some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? But here, this is the statement. I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Can I hear amen? Yeah, I'm trying to get some energy in the room. Let's say this together, right? Let's read the sentence together. Ready? One, two, three. I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Let's do it again. Ready? One, two, three. I will show you my faith by my good deeds. And here, once again, here, it's talking about a dynamic faith where all of a sudden our faith affects us 
we put our faith to work. We connect the dots and use it and, and, and un- understand how it affects every area of our life. That it affects the way we do our life. Now, this is a statement that I think really captures that statement in a different way. And this has become the ethos of why we do things the way we do. Good works builds goodwill and then opens the human heart to the good news. I want that to sink in a little bit. Good works builds goodwill before God because there's integrity and before man because there's wholeness in the way we're walking. And it opens up the human heart. That the good news we want to share about how amazing God is, is validated. Can I hear an amen? And this is where I want to share about when I began to see this, I'm like, wow. That means when my faith affects an area of my life, that area of my life becomes an opportunity for me to share about Jesus. Amen? Whether it might be, for my life, grief, cancer, marriage, parenting, all those everyday moments are not just moments that God uses to form us, but our faith drives us to use those everyday moments as an opportunity to show and demonstrate our faith, but also to share our faith. Okay? You guys following me? Yeah? And so I want to give you some examples around how we can use everyday money moments as an opportunity for us to show and share our faith. Right? And that's why I spent so much time last week going through different areas of money management because we understand that then that can be flowed into everyday conversations with your friends or family, yeah? So for example, helping people in need. How many of us, we encounter people sometimes on the streets begging for money, yeah? And imagine you're walking down with your non-Christian friends and then you see someone there and then you begin to give them uh, some, some cash and then your friend goes, why is it that you give them? You know they're just going to give it to alcohol or use it for drugs or whatever. But you say, you know what? When I encounter people begging on the money for, street, on, uh, for money on the streets, I'm reminded that Jesus teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And this influences how I approach their needs. If they need food, I try to buy them a meal for the day. But if that's not possible, I will still provide them what they need to get through the day, even if they might use it for drugs and alcohol. Can I hear an amen? Why do I do it? Because God tells me to pray this way. Lord Jesus, give us this day our daily bread. And that is my responsibility. Not tomorrow's bread, not next week's bread, today's bread. What about the areas of making financial decisions? I won't go through each of them. But in Ecclesiastes, and I didn't share this, 4.6, it says, Better one open hand with quietness than two fists full of tr- t- um, striving and turmoil and hard work. And so you imagine, right? You're talking to your friends and all of a sudden you're talking about how, how you're making a financial decision around letting go um, a, a really crazy job that pays incredibly well and then managing all these other commitments that you have. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's all your fistful. You've got a whole bunch of stuff, but there's striving, there's unrest, there's turmoil. 
But then you decide to let go because one day you read the Word of God in Ecclesiastes and it says, better one open-handed with rest and quietness than two fistfuls, right? With striving and, 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 and turmoil, yeah? And then you said, the moment I read that, God convicted me of what I needed to let go and what I needed to keep, that I cannot buy into the lie that I can have everything. And in so doing, all of a sudden, I experienced peace in my marriage, peace in my home, wholeness, margin, headspace to be present, emotionally available to my family and to my kids. Why is it that you do it that way and you make your financial decision that way? It's because the Word of God said that. Can I hear an amen? This was an opportunity for you to show and share your faith. What about estate planning, which I shared last week in Proverbs 2021? Some of us as retirees, you can talk to your, oh, I don't know whether you do or not, you know, but we talk about estate planning about you, with your friends and non-Christian friends and thinking about passing your inheritance to your children. You go, you know what, it's interesting, I came across a proverb in the Bible that says an inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. And it influenced how I begin to manage and distribute my inheritance because I realize it's not just about money. It's about raising children that have character and wisdom to handle their inheritance wisely. I wonder how you do that. I'd be interested to know how you do that. You know, and maybe it's the one of the ways that I can begin to do that is to go, okay, instead of having 500,000 handed down, we can divide that early on and go, I'll give you 50,000 when you're 40 and let's see how you manage that. Then we stage it and you go to 100,000, 150,000. I'm just giving you different examples just to go, Everyday money management issues are faith-sharing opportunities. Can I hear an amen? The degree to which we understand how the faith drives the way we manage our money will be the degree to which we understand how we can use it to show and share our faith. Now, let's go into the second one. The second area that we can do to be able to uh, use God's money to, for mission and his mission is to use our money and skills to what I call to make a greater difference together for God's kingdom. Now, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan, and this really spoke to me many years ago, and this is what it says. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You know, strangely enough, about a year ago, I had a chance to preach at a church in the city. And then uh, I was going to a cafe very early on to prepare before I went up to preach. And then I saw, um, I had this actual moment right now. Uh, I had this, uh, uh, this lady who's a Sudanese lady that was on the opposite side of the street in the city, and she was just wailing and, and yelling and crying. I couldn't make sense of what she was saying. And I thought she was just drunk and, and homeless, and people were just walking by, right? And, and so here I was, you know, I need to preach the Word of God to people, amen? 
I'm too busy. I need to go to the cafe to prepare for my word, the word that I'm going to preach. And then this very verse spoke to me and said, don't you dare be that priest. <laughs> don't you dare walk past. Anyway, long story short, walk there. Um, there was a huge Sudanese fight that broke out in the city that, that, that uh, morning. And she had a massive um, lump in her head, uh, big trauma. And then someone had beaten her up, taken her stuff away. Uh, apparently, the police people had come there but just left her there. I don't know whether that's true or not. But she was basically yelling into her phone, calling her mum and her daughter, just saying, come get me. And she was screaming. And so here I was there. And then five minutes later, the mum comes screaming that way. Ah! And then the daughter comes screaming this way. And I'm like, oh, chaos and all that. But long story short, anyway, she was managed to get into the ambulance and, and, and she's fine. But I'm like, this is putting your faith to work. Anyway, sidestep. But in this, it brought a lot of color to this text, right? And one of the key things that I learned from this, which I've never considered this way, which Tom Nelson talks about, framing it from a financial perspective. That here, the Samaritan was not just a religious leader, but a person seeking to engage in a business transaction in Jericho. That Jericho was a center of commerce and economic activity in the first century. And it was strategically located on some of the trade routes. And here, the Samaritan businessman interrupts his business trip to take the needy Jewish neighbor to an inn for healing and recovery. And here he uses his own resources to ensure the recovery of his injured neighbor. And here this generous Samaritan businessman pulls out his credit card and here, here's a line of credit. Whatever this guy needs, I will cover it. I think someone wants you to cover all the expenses over there. Amen. (laughs) Right? But when you look at a good Samaritan from that perspective, what he was then saying is that for this good Samaritan to show neighborly love requires financial stewardship. To pull out a credit card and go, here's a line of credit, charge whatever you want, requires diligent work and labor requires wise and financial stewardship, but also requires a heart of generosity. And so again, Matt's equation, seems like this is all about Matt's last two weeks. Here, economic capacity plus Christian compassion is what it takes to show neighborly love. Can I hear an amen? It takes money to cook a meal for someone who's in need. Economic capacity plus Christian compassion equals neighborly love. In fact, you actually see this affirmed in all different bits of scripture. I spoke last week in Ephesians 4. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, then give generously to others in need. Here, he's talking about building your economic capacity through good financial discipleship and stewardship with Christian compassion so then you can love your neighbor. Here in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, Paul instructs Timothy to, to instruct what to the rich, how to deal with their wealth. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money, so their wealthy capacity to do good works. They should be rich in good works and be generous to those in need. Can I hear an Amen. And just to reinforce the whole idea that economic capacity and Christian compassion is actually what is needed 
to love our neighbor well, you can't always separate the two together from each other. Yeah? And so when we're talking about money and God's mission, here I'm trying to give you a vision that God wants to increase our economic capacity. That's why we're big on financial discipleship. But have God's compassion in us. And together, we can love our neighbor well. And together, we can make a greater difference. Can I hear an amen? Yeah? And so, what I want to be able to do is we're going to move into a second segment here where I want to share a little bit around giving towards the vision of our church. As I shared before, a lot of it, when I'm talking about money here, is always first and primary, always about financial discipleship. Always about financial discipleship because as I've unpacked in the last two weeks, this is what I read in Scripture. But in that also encompasses giving for kingdom impact. And when I say giving, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about giving of your time. I'm talking about giving of your financial skills, like the way Damien did last week. You know, uh, and one of the things that I appreciated about Damien, like he's offered to be able to say, you know, for anyone on the sower seed um, uh, who are in need of financial advice, uh, you know, Damien's willing to offer himself and that skill that he has to be able to help those in need through the sower seed. Yeah. Um, but some of you might have different financial skills and vocational skills that you can offer, but also the area of financial giving, okay? Now, I want to address this, take a bit of a sidestep. But for us as a church, we are shifting from tithing because we know tithing is important. We talk about it as an Old Testament concept where they talk about giving 10% of your tithe to the local temple. But when you read in the New Testament, it moves from 10% to 100%. Can I hear an Amen. Yeah, initially you're going, ooh, this is looking good. And it's like, no, it goes an extra 90%. Because that's financial discipleship. It moves away from tithing as a fixed number, a fixed thing that you have to give to a heart of sacrificial generosity and financial stewardship. And that is the shift that we're wanting all of us to begin to make. Can I hear an amen? Now, do I still give a 10%? I do, because I think it's helpful to have a structure to give a percentage, because if I don't have a structure, I know that percentage will go down. Amen? Or am I the only honest person here? Yeah, yeah, that laugh is saying, I agree with you, Chief. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Right? So that structure is important, but it's not a law. Yeah? But what we're trying to do is move us into a heart of sacrificial generosity and understanding financial stewardship using God's money, God's way. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to give you a, um, if you look into the booklet, you guys would have seen at the end about giving into the vision of our church. What we've done as much as we can, we put some common uh, questions and FAQs around how our church manages the money. You will find it there to the detail that I believe is appropriate for what you need to know. If you need to know more, come speak to us and we'll be able to address it. About who knows how much someone gives. I can tell you only three people. I don't know any, anything about who, who gives what. Okay? Because we want to respect the privacy. We want to talk about our financial checks and accountabilities. 
it's all there. We do, who, what, what, what we talk about, where we contribute the finances and to which areas and which departments, it's all there. Okay, so you can read some of that information there. I won't go through it, um, but that was there to be able to bring uh, open, transparent communication to all of us around how we, as a church, steward the finances that every single one of you so generously give. Okay, we want to do that well and with astuteness and with God's wisdom. But also, what we want to begin to do now, once every quarter, is to be able to communicate um, where our church finances is at as well, okay? Because that matters to all of us. Amen? Yeah? So, coming out of the stage, let me invite uh, Stephen Gallery. Everyone give him a hand. So, he's our business operations director, and he's just going to give us an update. Good morning. Uh, Pastor Cheese asked me to bring you three topics. Where we've come from, where we are, and where we're going. Uh, In the first week of this series, uh, I watched as Pastor Chi established uh, who was here and when. And it made me realise that a large number of you may not know where this church has come from. Uh, Clayton Church of Christ is old. It was planted, well I'm old and it's basically the same age. It was planted in this community. It had a few buildings as it grew within this area. You now walk into this lovely, only 11 year old church because of the early vision and discipleship of those first members. It's the history of the building, but the history to be achieved The members and the congregation over 70 years have invested of themselves, their lives and their faith in God here. They've also invested their funds, not only in the church structure but in the vision of the church. This building is mortgage-free. They established the culture of the community and support through their generosity of heart, faith, and of giving. The vision, the church's direction and finances are now stewarded by a pastoral leadership team, the church board, and of the business operations staff. A large part of where the church has come from and is going is a great vision journey. From a small church caring for a small community, it has grown to a church that cares for a great deal of its community through the works over the past 70 plus years. We now know that as Love Lao. It has a global outreach, doing so much within the walls and far beyond. It is caring for and discipling the next generation. It has multiple language services. With the leadership of Senior Pastor Chi, The vision of whole of life discipleship is now impacting well beyond Clayton Church of Christ. It's shared with and now embraced by other churches and organisations. Under his leadership and that of a very active board, the financial stewardship of the church and your investment has ensured the vision and the works are tracking well. The example set by those who came before us is one we should give praise and thanks for, for their faith, 
their servant heart and their walk, walk with Christ. So as we move on the vision journey, we're going to travel on the uneven path and landscape of the economical world of Australia. Our financial stewardship is controlled by the accepted practices of formalities and rules of finance and accountancy as well as government. So we have 12-month budgets, annual targets, tax years, reports, auditors and AGMs. All this for the assessment of how we're performing. Now, um, what I want to do is take you into this segment now, okay? Because to be honest, $15 per person to give or whatever, that's not going to be a challenging thing for most of us. But let, let's just dream a little bit, okay? I want to do it in two ways. First of all, I want to show you the kind of impact that we've made. Again, economic capacity with the heart of compassion and the neighborly love. Good works, builds goodwill, and opens the heart to good news, okay? So I want you to watch a, a video. I'm going to show you a segment on, and share some stats around some of the impact that God is doing through our church in the local ministries. But why don't you watch on the screen uh, on, uh, a video on Love Loud Meals. Uh, if you can play that, that'd be great. Hello, everyone. I just wanted to kind of give you a bit of an update on the meal that we do, the meals that we do every Saturday. Uh, so I've got Nick with me here, who's one of the coordinators. So Nick, tell me, how many meals have we done today? Close to 15,000. 15,000. And uh, how many meals do we do every week? So each week we're ordering about 70 to 80 meals. Uh, previously we used to buy those hot meals from restaurants, but recently we've switched to our own Auntie Irene and our own kitchen. Um, so we're doing this in-house now. Okay, and uh, has there been a shift of the type of people that we're getting in and where they're coming from there? Absolutely. So three years ago, when we started, we had COVID, we had lockdowns. And um, so the recipients back then were more international students, more migrants. Uh, but nowadays, it is very much locals. Okay, who who anybody else are we working together with recently? So when we say locals, we get referrals from groups like Notting Hill Neighbourhood House. Um, so in the community, very much local community minded, and it's word of mouth. We've been doing this for so long, people actually know that we exist, that we are delivering meals. We're unique in that way. Well, what about uh, with what's happening with interest rates and inflation? Have you seen that that's an impact? On Absolutely. Um, earlier this year, and probably because of those interest rate rises, we got a lot of families mums with kids, and they were doing it tough, clearly, because they were saying they need that extra help. Okay, and recently we were also connected with Woolworths and other stakeholders. You want to just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's a hot meal, but then we also will collect donated products from Woolies in Wheelers Hill. Uh, so that's baked goods, bakery items, and hopefully fruit and veg as well. Okay, so what do you think, what would you like to share with the church? What else can the church do to help? So, yeah, there's a cost to cooking the meals. So $2,500 a month is covering our operations. Um, and if you can give of time, because if you can't give financially, give of your time on a Saturday to help us collect the meals, help us to deliver the meals um, to the recipients. Every Saturday we have four volunteer drivers and we have two or three of us that help to collect and coordinate. So a team of seven each week, and we rotate on a three-hour, three-weekly basis to to cover the needs. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you, Nick, for that. And I uh, 
uh, I think this is a great initiative that we're doing, and let's uh, collectively support this as best we can. So, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. As Jesus has taught us, when we are feeding the sick and the poor and the needy, we're really serving Him. So, it has been a privilege to serve for the past three years, to build relationships, not just with recipient families, and see the transformation and the impact we have, but with stakeholders too, and how they can partner and sow into the work of Christ here. And I look forward to seeing where we can take this in the years to come. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Now, if I can get a wish, um, the, uh, Danny, uh, on, just help me um, pad the background. I just want to share just a summary of some of the impacts that's happening. 15,000 total meals delivered. We raised together out of us, April 2020 to 2023, 63,000. We got grants from Bendigo Bank and the Victoria government, 40 volunteers, and we've got eight key stakeholder relationships that we've built. From a sow seed, which is where we basically go case by case and we have particular people who can meet those requirements who are definitely needing a hand. They don't get a handout, they get a leg up, okay? And we triage each of those cases. We've supported uh, with the team families and individuals, 62 families and individuals. Together out of collectively, and this again, the collective power of the difference we can make together, we raised $115,000 over the last three years. Isn't that amazing? Yeah? Some of us donated six cars to five families. And we built eight key stakeholder relationships. Monash Council, Kingston Council, GP, Salvation Army, Family Practice lawyer, uh, Lawyers. Let's talk about UFIT. We have on average about 110 people weekly attending the boot camp in self-defense. Half of them don't come to this church. That these become an open door into the community. There's no distinction and no separation now. They can feel safe. They can feel home because Jesus invites people to feel safe and home. We got an $80,000 grant from Suburban Railway Loop. I cannot tell you in grant giving, this is huge. It is a massive amount, right? But that is the level of trust that we've gained through the partnerships that we've made in stakeholders. We've had over 300 people in across four Let's Talk seminars where we share the Christian perspective, well, you know, we share a, a perspective, right, a worldview around how to think around different topics and different areas. And you'll hear on the 10th of September, we're going to have the five churches, the, the, the four churches together for Clayton, combined together for a combined dinner in this hall for over 350 people. All our communities and the community people that we reach out to, and we will start to learn from the stakeholders in our city and we're going to introduce to the local stakeholders together for Clayton that we're now one church in Clayton. Can I hear an amen? Right? You know what's beautiful out of that? Over the last three years, and I think it's just tipping the iceberg, 10 salvations, three baptisms, and not only that, people that flock through life groups, the gathering spaces, in organic ways that you cannot control. You know what, church? This was launched seven years ago as one of the shared futures that we will be a local church. When we become these disciples that I'm talking about, we will then become this local church. 
where we will walk alongside stakeholders to transform Clayton. A church that embraces the community of Clayton as our own. We see ourselves becoming a people that walks alongside community leaders seeking to make the city better together. A people through whom its acceptance is given, hope is rebirthed, restoration discovered, and Christ is found. Holistic. A people who embrace our unique calling to be His light in one of the most multicultural suburbs, in one of the most multicultural nations. A people where Jesus has broken down our walls of prejudice so we can build a diverse, multicultural, united church that reflects our community. Can I hear an amen? Guys, we are seeing this being lived out more than ever. And I am so thankful to God for it. Can we give the Lord a hand? So that's what we've done so far. But let's dream together. Can we dream together? Everyone say, what if? What if? You know, we want to build an enabled church which has strong governance. We believe some of you guys have a calling to govern boards, not just in our church, but also in other organizations, and to be able to bring Christ's voice into those governing centers. One of our church members was sponsored as a scholarship by this Christian Women in Governance Fund to join the Australian Institute of Company Directors course, right? And that was Lauren. She got sponsored to be able to do that because someone saw in her her calling and her ability and her strength and said, we will invest financially into that so you can upskill in that area and be that future voice in those spaces. Can I hear an amen? What if we had a fund that can be able to help build that governance pipeline? People like Tim Wong and many others who have that calling clearly upon their life, like Thomas or Darren, right? If we can build that pipeline and invest into the next generation so they can be key decision makers in those governing boards, wouldn't that be amazing? What if we had that capacity? Let's talk about Bill Pontikas and Bob, right? I didn't get, uh, you know, like I'm going to shout his horn a little bit, but they're one of the most hardworking couples I've ever known. They're one of a kind, right? Very few people can do what they do or have the heart and the willingness to do what they do. But man, he's straddling two jobs. He's looking after a young grandson at his age doing all that. But what if, and his heart is like, I want to be fully invested to be able to serve those who are in need in the city. What if we were able to raise funds to be able to support him so that he can just go full-fledged and be the building, the best builder he can be for the kingdom of God? Can I hear amen? Yeah? What about global workers to see the most unreached people reach, to see the gospel further advance to the ends of the earth where we remove finances as the obstacle? What about financial planners and accountants, which I've already approached and I've already spoken to Damien about this, where you can come along and use your vocational skills to be able to help global workers financially plan for their future where possible, right? Instead of just raising support, bring that financial support skilling advice around them and professional services to help them and they're already making a huge sacrifice what if we began to do that what if we built a vocational internship in this year in this church we have a gap year and in this one year where people say i'll take a gap year we build relationships with businesses in this city and we go you know what we will place two three people two three a days a week 
Some of our people who've taken a gap year, who can serve in their vocational calling in their industry. And we built relationships there. And they partner with our churches. We grow them spiritually. They work in that space. They build the partnerships. And together we can see the city work better together. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had that kind of internship fund? Right? What happens if we have a leadership training program? A leadership development pathway that will raise other church planters and Christian marketplace leaders. You will have education that you get for your industry. But what if we supplement that with a Christian perspective about how your faith affects your industry from your medical, your finance, your law, your engineering, your, your business? How, what if we're able to develop that kind of development pathway and we not only just plant church planters, but we plant Christian marketplace leaders in every sphere in this big garden and city of God? You look around the streets, you see a whole bunch of Indian community. What if we decided to plant an Indian congregational plant? And all we need was just finance to support someone who's already willing and ready to go. To explore that sense of calling and wanting to say yes to God. But money isn't an issue. You know, I've been part and a recipient of this thing called Christian Projects. This person sold their business and there was a lot of money, and what they did was they funded, they invested, they invested, and the profits that come out of it, they invest into Christian leadership. So once every two years, they sponsor 10 pastors in the Church of Christ denomination to go to America, right? Fully funded. And then the other, every two years, they fund and support local Christian leaders to travel nationally to get exposure and growth in leadership. Now, that's great financial stewardship and thinking around growing economic capacity, right? To be able to do the work in the kingdom of God. And lastly, what if, you know, together for Clayton, you got a thousand people, guys, a thousand people across our churches. Imagine this, 10 people, $10 per person a week they give. That's $500 extra per year. With a blink of an eye, with a thousand people, that's half a million dollars a year. Can I hear an amen? That is the power of our collective difference that we can make together. You guys excited? I want you to dream. And now I know when I share this, you go, whoa, that's a bit big, a bit far-fetched. Let's be realistic. Can I do it? I can't do it. Can you do it? You can't do it. But together in God, we can do it together. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? You really believe that? And all we need to do, and this is the most honest conviction that I feel I could offer as a challenge, as an action to next step. Yes, there's a finance in the church. Yes, this, this. The conviction of, that I've had is this. Take your next step of financial discipleship. I'm not here to tell you what it is. But I am saying, if we all take our next step of financial discipleship, I believe in God. And in the power and grace of God, we will get there. Can I hear an amen? So this is the call to action because we started with James. Faith without works is dead, right? But this is the action. What is your next step? To give some structure and action points. Number one, maybe you need your next step is to grow your heart. 
Learn and grow in your financial discipleship. There's so much to learn. So much. Go into the Word. Relook at that booklet. Put your head in Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to do that transforming work in your heart. Right? Maybe it's to take that step. Well, maybe the step in skill. Do an audit of all areas of your money management and align it with the Word of God. Rather than sitting here and just going, yep, 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 I think, yep, yep, yep. Actually, do an audit. Take a stock take. Take it seriously and do an audit and then you go, okay, what parts needs to align and how do I align it with God's view of how to manage His money? Or thirdly, a step in mission. Three steps. Number one, practice showing and sharing your faith. Can you do that? Yeah? Practice what I've asked. I said at the very first point. Everyday money moments can become opportunities to show and share your faith. Practice it. That can be a first step. The second step can be use your financial skills like Damien and many others to serve others who are in need. And thirdly, to invest and give into the church's vision. Yeah? Some of us are new here. If you God's sensing, you're sensing that God's saying, this is your home, right? And this is your spiritual place of nourishment. Consider it. Invest. Give. Yeah? Not just of your money, but of yourself. Can I hear an amen? This is all right? So I want you to take, we're going to, um, I'm going to get the worship team up now. I want, why don't we all stand to our feet. Let's rise to our feet. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about what your next step is. And before God in prayer, I want you to make a decision what your next step is in your area of financial discipleship. And simply just do it. So let me pray. And I'm also going to invite the prayer team to come up. And we're going to have a time of ministry because though I know we're talking about finances, many people are here with different needs and different things that's pressing upon their heart. We want to be able to pray for you and still have God minister to you in those areas. So why don't we just pray, yeah? Lord God, we just want to thank you for the last three weeks. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is rich in terms of what you have to say about money and and the place that you want to have in our hearts, God. God, we just pray that somehow that your word will be fruitful and multiply in a way, in our life, in a way that we don't read it in scripture where the weeds choke it and makes the word of God unfruitful, but instead... The Word of God will be fruitful in this house and in our lives. And God, that your, our relationship with you will take an entire different turn because of our, our relationship with money has changed. But instead, you have now becoming our master. We now have a vision of financial discipleship and stewardship. And so, Lord God, we just pray for each and every one of us, Holy Spirit, that you do that convicting work Help us just take that one step of obedience to you. And we entrust God that you will take it and make yourself known to the world. And so we just pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.